Good morning, everybody. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm one of the main leaders or key leaders in church life, and I just really want to extend a, a really warm welcome to you this morning, particularly if church is a new thing, you're exploring church, you're exploring Christianity, or this church is new to you. It's, it's great to see you. I remember a couple of years ago, well, actually quite a long number of years ago, when my children were small, we went on a holiday to southwest of France and we were, uh, went to the beach to swim and there was a strong tide and we had to swim between the flags. There were lifeguards there. And so we went in and began to swim and rather embarrassingly, after a few moments, the lifeguard had to blow his whistle. Oh, I can't whistle. Anyway, we whistled and... Um, and we had to move back into the flagged zone. And rather embarrassingly, it kept happening. We kept on going out of the flag zone. And he kept on whistling. The thing is, the tide was so strong that even for me, to walk against the, the tide or swim against the tide, let alone my children, and then come back again was so difficult that we just couldn't do it. So in the end, I thought, light bulb moment get out of the, the water, onto the beach, walk all the way up to the flag at the other end, and then get in the, in the sea, and we were able to really enjoy our time of, of uh, swimming, and gently the, the tide brought us back down to the other end, and we had a really good time. But it required that light bulb. It required that moment of intentionality in order to make that a, a worthwhile and enjoyable experience. The story goes that an airline pilot uh, said over the tannoy, um, good news and bad news. The bad news is we're lost. Um, the good news is we're making good progress. <laughs> Which you kind of think... Ugh. And... Um, you know, sometimes I feel that, like that in my Christian life, that I'm busy doing things, but actually I'm not really making the progress that I would like to go. I'm not going where I want to go. Or put it another way, sometimes I feel as I'm being swept along by that tide. I'm not actually staying where I want to go or where I want to be. And I wonder if you're like that this morning. You're thinking, where am I going in life? Am I becoming the person that I really want to be? For me, as a Christian, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to be the best person I can possibly be for Jesus. I can only be the best me. With my gifts, my abilities, my personality. But I want to be the best me for Jesus. But sometimes it feels, maybe you feel that. You feel that you're not making that kind of progress. You feel a bit stuck and, um, in your following Jesus. And you actually feel as though you're being swept along by the tide. And we need to do something intentional to be different. As a church, we've been looking at this series where Paul has been writing to the church of, of Colossae. He outlines many reasons why we should follow Jesus. And he also outlines in chapter 3 and 4 what the Jesus life looks like. It looks like a life of love. It looks like a life of service. It looks like a life of worship. But the big question I want to ask and for us to consider this morning is, how? 
How do we live that life? How do we not get stuck in our Christian life? And how do we move forward and grow? So let's read a key verse um, in in Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I think that, for me, you know, he says, so you Just then, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord. For me, there are so many reasons why I like being a Christian. I want to be a Christian. Derek outlined that Jesus is the creator, that all things were made by him and for him. There is nothing in life that is out of scope. It is, in a sense, you know, the breath, your breath is in our lungs, we sang. There's something about the world, even the floor that I'm standing on, God is holding up in some shape or form. You might think in a scientific world we can't believe that. But actually, there are some good reasons why we might still believe that. My, one of my favorite preachers that I like listening to is Greg Boyd. He has done a series at Woodland Hills Church about miracles and God, science and God. And if that's something that you want to explore, then I'd encourage you to look at that. But there are so many good reasons why we might believe in God as a creator. For me, I think I love Jesus because the God that I know is a God of love. And that he is wanting to draw us into himself. He has come into this world to search for us, to look for us, and to bring us into relationship with him. Not that we, he is hiding from us, but we are hiding from him. And he is seeking us out because he wants us to know him. I want to follow Jesus for that reason. For me, Jesus is the best possible news you could have about our past life because he forgives us. He loves us as we are. He is the best possible news for the present time because he is actually here and actually says that Christ is in us. Christianity isn't some philosophy, it's just some historical event, but the very presence of God. And if we die, and when we die, It's the best news for the future that we have a life in Christ that goes on forever in in a perfect and beautiful way. I wouldn't want to be anything else. And I love God because he deals with me. He he walks with me through life's struggles and difficulties. And it's personal. Esther said what she had to say today. I'd already prepared my talk. And what I'm going to say today links in with this. It had in any way, what Esther has said is not not shaped what I'm saying this morning. But it links incredibly. About a year ago, I was stuck in my Christian life. I was in a wilderness experience. And um, Sue, my wife, decided that she wanted to do a course at Love Bristol called Release. And I thought, yeah, that's fine for you. But I felt that kind of pressure that said, oh, perhaps I should do it. She wasn't asking me, but I felt that, you know. And I said to her rather lamely, I'll pray about it. 
But actually, I really didn't want to do it. I, there were these reasons. I had some theological reservations, very real ones. But also, I, had, I just didn't want to have to do some of the things that they were asking to do. I didn't want to step out of my comfort zone. It was going to be tricky. And there were real fears that I had. But I prayed to God and said, you get my attention and I will think about it. And over the next two weeks, he got my attention by bringing this word release six times into my life. And it wasn't just the kind of the syndrome that you begin to see something you're looking for. But it was something that I felt was a God thing that he was sparking in me and touching me about. And maybe I just need to give you a little bit more backstory that previous to that, about four or five months previous to that, I had been walking the Cotswold Way on my own and I'd been praying to God and I'd been crying out to him and I was saying, whatever I do, I want it to be done with more of you. More of your, your presence. More of the presence of Jesus in my life. And that's the key, isn't it? And as I was walking along, I was walking along this small metal track, tarmac track, that had three or four houses. And as I looked up, the house name was called Yahweh's Place. And I felt God was saying to me, yeah, you need to seek me. You need to seek my presence. That's what's really important. So back on a year ago, thinking about release, should I do it, shouldn't I do it, you know, I really went to the wire on this one because there were so many things that I didn't, you know, they're struggling with. And, but actually there were some wonderful things. To do it with Sue was a wonderful thing. And so I, as I was praying one night walking home, God reminded me of that situation on the Cotswold Way. And I had a sense of real sense of peace that this was God speaking. And then... I looked up, and there was the Airbus sign, Wings for the Future. I'm sure Airbus didn't put that there for that reason, but it, it, um, it just spoke to me that this course was the Wings for the Future for me. I'm not saying it's for you, but it was for me. And just to, to reiterate that, was the very first session that we had. A lady spoke at the front, and she said, you're going to get your wings in this course. Your wings for the future. And I knew that God was putting his hand on this for me. And it has been, a time, it has been an amazing adventure for Sue and I this last year doing this course. At times it has revealed my incredible inadequacies and the incredible amount that I don't know. But other times it's brought a sense of God's presence and power and uh, uh, growth and encouragement to me. You know, I've been able to do some missions in Madrid and then we had an amazing experience of three weeks in South Africa where God was touching our lives and we saw some amazing things and even God did some miracles through us. And very aware of my own inadequacies as well, but God did things through us. And for me, so it was a growing experience this year, I think for two reasons. One was that it was an opportunity to seek God and cry out to him. And as we do that, I think we grow. And the second thing was 
that I had to step out of my comfort zone. And when you step out of your comfort zone, you have to rely upon God, don't you? And that was why it was a place of growth for me. And so I just wanted to share that because that's kind of my journey, but also it tings into my subject and it also just shows you what God is living and can be known. And to walk with him is amazing. I wonder... So what is God wanting to do in our lives? Where is he wanting us to go? As I said before, Colossians 3 and 4 is about love, about living a life of love, living a life of service. That's what Jesus is wanting to do in us. And Paul makes it very clear that this is his aim as a servant of Christ that he's trying to do in the church. When he says in chapter 1, verse 28, he says, um, he says we proclaim Jesus and teach and admonish him with all wisdom so that you may be mature in Christ. And that's God's aim for us, that we might grow, that we might be mature in Christ. And so I want to ask that question, how? How do we do it? How do we do it? Of course, there's no easy slot machine, you know, just put this thing in here and you just, out pops the, the Jesus looking me. Doesn't work like that, does it? But I want to bring you some principles this morning that will be helpful. And for some of you who are really struggling in life, perhaps due to mental illnesses, these things won't be guarantees. But I think it's surprising what God does when we place ourselves where he can change us. So how do we grow and not get stuck? I think there are three ways. The first, I think, is um, interesting because somebody's changed my Bible recently. Sacrilege, isn't it? You're not meant to change the Bible, but somebody's changed my Bible. Chapter 3 heading used to say, um, rules for holy living. The, the, the titles aren't inspired, you realise that, don't you? But chapter 3 used to say that. And I used to think, as I've read Colossians, I thought, that's wrong. It shouldn't say that. Because that means that I've got to try and live this holy life and, and follow these rules. And I don't think it's about that at all. Instead, the NIV new version of the Bible says something completely different, which I would agree with. It says, um, living as those made alive in Christ. Our living out the life is because we're attached to Jesus. It's because we have that connection, because of who we are, because we are now Christians and we are incredibly linked with Jesus. I know it's a kind of mystery that we, I just can't really get my head round if I'm brutally honest. And if I read these verses at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. We're called to set. That's not just an instant thing. That's a, a, a gazing, a setting, a looking. We're to set our hearts and passions on Christ. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds 
on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear in him with him in glory. And then he says, so then, live this life. So the second thing, so the first thing is, who are we? Our identity. The second thing is the outward life. We will never seriously grow as Christians unless we begin to use our gifts and abilities to serve God. Unless we begin to step out. And in fact, even step out with, out of our comfort zones and begin just because Jesus tells us to do it. But I want to focus this morning on... The, the third way, the inner life. So we might need to cl- clip a few slides here, Chris. Move on a couple. Move on, yeah, lovely. The inner life. And um, I think that what happens so often is that we need to develop this inner life and God does this in our lives. Perhaps we have the next slide. That would be fantastic. The growth circle. You see, sometimes we're we're doing the God thing. We're doing his will. We're doing the outward life. We're following what he wants. There might even be some specific call that God has on your and my life. And then suddenly, bang, there's this reverse that comes into our lives. There's something, there's a broadside. There's a... um, Perhaps evil, perhaps circumstances, perhaps our own faults, but just some, simply just because we're in this messy, broken world. There are so many biblical examples of this. Probably classic is David. David had this specific call. Samuel comes and anoints him as king over Israel. And then he has to go on the run for 13 years. Threatened with his life before he finally becomes king. He goes in that reverse. He goes into that wilderness. Joseph would be another example. And of course, Jesus. Jesus, who has this um, baptism, and the Father speaks to him and says, you are my son whom I'm well pleased with. And the Holy Spirit comes on him in a tangible way. The dove comes upon him. And then, immediately... By the Holy Spirit, he's led into that wilderness place, that place of testing and uh, trial. Selwyn Hughes, one of the great Bible teachers of the 20th century, when he talks about the ways of God, one of them he says is this, that God reveals, he reverses, and then he restores. And it's important to go into that reverse, that wilderness, in order to become the person that we need to be in order to be into that place of restoration and anointing and serving. And some of you know that I've been, to some degree, into this kind of wilderness period in the last few years. It can be a very painful experience. Sometimes everything is stripped away, power, influence, status. It can be painful because we're actually, we're enjoying and our egos are being fed by some of those external things rather than our identity in Jesus. 
questions of identity arise when it's all stripped away. What are our motives for serving Jesus? It reveals our dark side, or the shadow side, as some people talk about it. Peter Cazaro talks about it in his Emotional Healthy Healing, Emotional Healthy Spirituality book. Or another series, if you want to get into it, John Mark Comer, Portland Church, Oregon, has written, has spoken extensively about this kind of thing and currently looking at the stages of Christian life, which is, I find quite fascinating of a dynamic to consider. But this is something people have talked about many, many times over the years. St. Bernard, Bernard of Clairvaux, talks about it. He says that there are a number of stages of love in our lives. We start, the first stage of love is that we, um, we love ourselves for our own sake. That selfish kind of love that we might have. And then the second stage might be that we know God. We know God's love. We love God for ourselves. Because he gives us things. Because he gives us peace. We feel a sense of forgiveness. We know the wonderful gospel that he's with us and forever. We know he provides something. We see something of God in our lives. So we love God for ourselves. Because of what he gives to us. But in the desert place, the wilderness place, that sometimes that's stripped away. And the test is, do we love God for who he is? That's the third level. Do we love God because he is loving? Do we love God because he's just? Do we love God because he is God and he's almighty creator of all things? That's the test and the level that we, we can go through into that wilderness period. For some, the wilderness is temporary and is not that really that deep. But yet, it can be a place where we can get stuck. And we can walk away from Jesus. And we begin to actually say, why God did you do this? And we can start to go into the world and enjoying the things of the world rather than pressing into Jesus and keeping going. For some, it can actually be a really hard, deep time. And people over the years have talked about the dark night of the soul or the wall. The dark night of the soul is where um, you love Jesus, but suddenly there are no feelings for Jesus anymore. You might come to a worship gathering, read your Bible, pray, and it's all just just bland it's all just words it's all there's nothing there even though you still love jesus and of course many get stuck in that kind of place or the wall the key is not to go round the wall but to work go through it those who have gone through the wilderness and those who've gone through those hard times they all testify that that's the place where God is doing his deepest work in our lives. And he's refining us so that we can then go and serve. He's changing us and building a character in us that, with which we can then serve him in an even greater way. You know, it's a bit like the pruning of a tree so that the fruit comes later. 
That's what the desert and the wilderness experience is about. So many places in the Bible it talks about perseverance. James, for example, says, consider it pure joy. And sometimes we really, really don't. (laughs) Consider it pure joy as you face all kinds of trials and temptations because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance uh, must finish its work and so that you might be mature, lacking nothing. The good news is in our pain that God is doing something. There is a purpose. It doesn't mean that God wanted to put you there or put the stuff on you, but he is doing something in that. And it's worthwhile and he's growing you and he's developing you and he's making you more like Jesus in that place. So how do we get out of those dark places? I don't know really. I probably ought to stop now um, the talk, but um, let's try and give some ideas and principles that we, that we can be helpful. The key is to keep in there. Keep seeking Jesus there's truth or thanks. Love to talk about truth and the word here, but I think time restricts that. Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. To dwell and to richly, to, to, to change our thinking, change our passions, to, to change our hearts that it might set Set our hearts on that, that it just would be transformational, as it can be. But thanks, I want to talk a little bit about thanks. That verse that we read, uh, Colossians 2 verse 6, ended with, Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. It almost seems like a bizarre throwaway remark that is irrelevant to the verse and irrelevant to the bits afterwards. But I don't think it was for Paul. Because he knew that as we began, as we begin to dwell in thankfulness and thanking Jesus for what he's done, it changes our hearts and our passions and awakens that in us. When we went to South Africa, we had the privilege of meeting <coughs> excuse me, Titch and Joan Smith, who um, an amazing couple who um, had some really tough life experiences and came to Jesus. And um, then it, just when they were about to retire, they started handing out peanut butter sandwiches to the orphans on the streets. And... Um, that progressed and they had a vision from God that they should build this orphanage. And so they created this place called Live Village that Mike Pilavacci and Soul Survivor has supported over the years. And we had the privilege of going there. But Joan Smith had, even after he became Christian, lost her husband tragically. He was brutally murdered. And she writes this about the power of thanksgiving. Give thanks. This flummoxed me too. My first thought was, God, what have I got to be thankful for? 
I felt my life was done. My whole future had been ripped away. But as I pondered on this, I realized God was showing me how to overcome the pain that was so overwhelming. Thanksgiving isn't just an emotional response for when life is going well. But an act of the will we must choose if we want to be obedient to him. So I willfully began to give thanks. I thanked God for answering my prayers that Vin, her husband, would be found, had been found. I thanked him that he had revealed himself to Vin 18 months before he died, forgiving him his sins, and that my husband was now in heaven with Jesus. I thanked him for our two children. I thanked him that we still had a roof over our heads and food on the table. I kept on and on thanking him for everything I could think of. And as I did so, I felt the oppressive heaviness of my grief began to lift. Thankfulness can be a powerful way in which to begin to come out of that deepness of that wilderness and that valley that we sometimes are in. And I would love to talk about the next one, which is the Holy Spirit um, which I think can be an incredible strength to us as we cry out to God and we seek to walk with the Holy Spirit. That can be a way of incredible growth for us in the wilderness, but actually, even if we're not in the wilderness, a lot of these principles work for us, whatever your circumstances. And some of you will have worked out that my little circle of growth, each one of them gives you growth, Okay. Except that there's no O there, is there? Well, the O comes now, thank you, and the O is others. By having others in your life who can, you can share your pain, who can walk with you, who can encourage you, it stops it going right down into the deepest valley, or can do. And you can cut across that valley into a, in the place. Having others is vital. If, if we're not going, we, you will not grow as a Christian if you don't have significant other people in your life. If you don't, if you just come to church on a Sunday, I'm sorry if that's a bit pointed, but actually finding a small group or finding others with whom you can meet regularly and encourage you and strengthen you, you will get stuck in your Christian life. So, where does this land for us? What does this mean for you this morning? I've thrown out a whole load of stuff. I hope that something you thought, I'm stuck there, or I need to do this, or I need to do that, or, um, or I've just inspired you that there's more of God out there, that God is wanting to touch our lives. Do you need to know Jesus? Because that's amazing. Do an alpha course. Do we really know our identity in Christ? Have you begun the outward life of service or depending deeper on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Is that a posture of our hearts? And then in the wilderness, or not in the wilderness, is the Bible, is the word, is the Christian message the message that we're really running in our hearts and minds? Are we people who are thankful? Science has proved that actual thankfulness changes the mood, even changes people's health. 
And that's, of course, is why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes a big thing of it, doesn't he? And the Holy Spirit walking with him and then others part of our group. Where, where, where do you need to engage today and in the coming months? What's this intentional step that we need to make to come out of the sea and walk along the beach and do something? Intentionality to be who we need to be and where we need to go. Mike Pilavacci says this um, in his foreword to the book. He says, I'm conflicted as I write this. On the one hand, I want to tell you the Smiths are a very ordinary people who have known pain, despair and walk with a limp. I want to tell you their story can be your story because it's simply about two people discovering that God's grace, his grace to the broken is really enough. But at the same time, I want to tell you that my friends really are extraordinary, as this is also true. They are ordinary people who keep saying yes to Jesus. And that's what makes them extraordinary. They say yes to loving hundreds and thousands of children in a costly, sacrificial way. They take incredible risks of faith when they believe God has spoken to them. And they are amazingly Obedient. And wouldn't it be amazing if we as a church, as me as, me as an individual, that we said yes to Jesus. We stepped out and continue to serve him. That doesn't mean you need to go and be to an orphanage or anything. You just need to step out where we are for Jesus. And as we do that, and as we, as we depend on the Holy Spirit, God is wanting to do so much more. If I've learned anything over this last year is that, that there is so much more of God that he wants to put in our hearts and lives. I've felt something, I've experienced something, but I'm also aware, deeply aware that there's so much more. I mean, just listen to what Paul has to say in, in Colossians 1.28. He says, I struggle with his energy which so powerfully works in me. I'll probably hear a slightly different version. In the sound, I strenuously contend with all the energy which so powerfully works in me. Wow. That's not just for Paul, you know. That's for, for each of us to contend with and to experience. Well, let's, we're going to have communion. We're going to have um, communion now. And uh, so I'm going to pray. I think the invitation from Jesus as we come to the bread and the wine, which speaks of the cross, Jesus dealing with our past. But it's a welcome to him. And to step forward with him in our lives. And if you're in a place of pain, I want you to ask, just cry out to him. And I want you to make that step of persevering with Jesus. Because he's the one to follow. Lord Jesus, thank you. That since the dawn of time, you've been looking for each one of us.
It's why you came into this world and why you went to a cross. That you might deal with our sin and welcome us into your family afresh. Would you bring fresh revelation into our hearts wherever we are on the journey with Jesus? Would you just come and touch each one of these people here today? With your love and with your power. Amen.